Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Thomas Tailgate Party. I'm your host, Thomas Jackson. We are previewing week 10 with my buddies Alex Allen and Garrett Bulldog. This episode talking about the big Georgia-Tennessee SEC East Championship game in Athens coming up. It always flies by so fast, but we are on the home stretch of the college football season. Indeed, rolling over to November today. Um, the good news is that we have a football game every single day until November 23rd between college and pro. Uh, that is the Wednesday of Thanksgiving week, the first day we have off when everybody's traveling and catching up with friends and family uh, anyways. But yeah, tonight, Maction return, and we'll have a lot of those games on Tuesdays and Wednesdays leading us into the holidays. So that's really exciting uh, we'll move straight into a quick week nine recap. Uh, lots of blowouts, not a very exciting week, but we learned a lot about the top teams just being able to take care of business against rivals that have traditionally been very pesky, uh, even if not, they're having a very good season. So Georgia took care of Florida in the cocktail party 42 to 20. Ohio State beat Penn State uh, 44 to 31. This one was a pretty fun game to watch uh, for most of it, at least until Ohio State really turned on the burners in the fourth quarter and made some big defensive stops and offense really started clicking there in the final 15 to put down the Nittany Lions, who have always given them trouble and indeed did cover that 15 and a half point spread there in Happy Valley. Uh, Tennessee absolutely dismantled Kentucky 44 to 6. You'll hear more about the stats from that game from Alex coming up in a little bit. Um, Kentucky, you know, not a bad squad. They're not as good as they probably were last year. Um, but wow, the volunteers, they really, really put their foot on their throats and made a big statement win against the Wildcats in a rivalry game there. Another rivalry game that's always weird, except for this year. Michigan beat Michigan State 29-7. I guess it was pretty weird because now I believe eight Michigan State players have been suspended and pending legal action on all of that after completely assaulting a Michigan player in the tunnel. A pretty disgusting act after you have 60 minutes to sort it out physically on the field and get stomped and then try to take it out when you have a guy outnumbered 10 or 12-1 to 1 in the tunnel. So pretty despicable action from the Spartans there. Uh, never like to see that. Uh, TCU defeated West Virginia 41 to 31. This was a really entertaining game early in the morning up in Morgantown, uh, kind of a trap spot for TCU. That line looked a little low at seven. TCU did end up covering it, of course, um, but it wasn't an easy one, even though it's a bad West Virginia team. It's always a tough place to play up there in Appalachia, uh, but the Horn Frogs continue on and remain undefeated. Oregon defeated Cal 42-24, to a similar letdown spot after their big defeat over the UCLA Bruins at home, um, knocking off their undefeated campaign. So the Ducks continue to roll. Bo Nix continues to roll. Kansas State, this was the most surprising outcome of the day, defeated Oklahoma State 48-0 without Adrian Martinez, Kansas State's starting quarterback. Uh, I thought without him that the Cowboys would probably win this one by a couple scores, uh, but turns out that with Oklahoma State's schedule that they've had the last couple weeks going against Texas and TCU is just too much to turn around and do it all again in the Little Apple. Uh, Notre Dame 
another surprising one, defeated Syracuse 41-24. to uh, Notre Dame seems to have found their stride after a very, very bad start. Uh, Syracuse definitely air kind of deflated out of that program after their close loss at Clemson. So we probably won't hear much from the Orange men for the rest of the season, but still a great, great year for them considering what they had going into this. The Illini defeated Nebraska 26-9. Illinois is now 7-1 on the season, and they have the Big Ten uh, West <laughs> in, in in their grasp. And, uh, you know, they play Michigan here in a couple weeks. That, that could be an interesting one. Um, but, yeah, the Illini, really, really amazing campaign for them. I think their win total was set at six or six and a half, and they have already eclipsed that. So good job to Brett Bielema and the Orange guys. Uh, Missouri upset number 25, South Carolina, 23-10. to 10. Another letdown spot, and this time it bit them for the Gamecocks. Cocktober ended a little bit early, and their top 25 appearance was very, very short. Um, a bad Missouri team goes to Columbia and defeats the Cox. Sprinting on to a couple segments before our preview of next week. Uh, Brian Harson uh, jumped ahead of myself, sprinting too fast. Hot seat of the week presented by Lee Corso. Brian Harson uh, is finally canned at Auburn. I'm not going to go too deep into this. This could be a whole episode, which we will have down the road when Auburn finds their next guy with someone who knows more about Auburn than I do. Um, but they have a he had a nine and twelve record. Harson did on the plains. They were three and five this year. It feels a lot like the 2012 season when Chiswick was fired. Um, although, you know, not to compare Chiswick to Harson because Chiswick was able to do big things there in 2010. Um, but this Auburn team is as bad as it's been since then, if not longer than that 2012 year. The only team they've beat by double digits this whole season was Mercer. And the final nail in the coffin was losing 41-27 to to a, I mean, a pretty good Arkansas team. Um, but the, the the stadium, Jordan-Hare, was just dead. Like, I've never probably seen it before. There was nobody there. Um, and the fans that were there just dejected. You know, Harson was a really weird hire from the get-go. That's what happens when you stage a coup against your former head coach, who did so well against Nick Saban and a lot of other hated SEC foes for Auburn, uh, trying to hire uh, Kevin Steele to take over the role, who was Malzahn's defensive coordinator. So they had trouble, you know, Napier and Venables declined to the Auburn job, and they had to resort to a random coach from Boise State who had always been in the Pacific Northwest. Um, so it was a weird hire from, you know, from, from the start. We'd seen the writing on the wall ever since the weird setup scandal thing happened this offseason with the affair that wasn't with the assistant girl that came from Boise State, apparently with Harson. Um, but after that, you can't blame coaches for not really being too eager to take a good job or what, you know, at least before the last few years was considered a really good job. Um, Auburn can definitely get back there, but they just keep shooting themselves in the foot and you can't 
wonder why coaches don't <laughs> you know want to want to take this gig. Um, but yeah, they hired Mississippi State's athletic director John Cohen a couple days ago, and as soon as that happened, Harson was relieved of his duties. Uh, that's really, I guess, what they were waiting for because there were a lot of losses this season where we thought Harson was going to be canned, and they just didn't have they literally didn't have an athletic director after firing. Alan Green, who was the one who hired Harson in the first place. Um, so as soon as Cohen got in there, he let him go. I mean, I guess better sooner than later, although the season's long gone at this point. Um, but yeah, it's been a long time coming for Harson since the setup in the off season. And we'll, we'll dive into that down the road in more depth. Uh, Scott Satters, Scott Satterfield, excuse me, He's kind of cooling off at Louisville. They are 4-4 four and four now, coming off of three straight wins. Three of their last four games are against top 25 opponents, so if they don't get past six wins this season, it wouldn't surprise me to see him gone anyway because this one kind of feels like it's been a long time coming. And Neil Brown at West Virginia, as much as I hate to say that the Mountaineers are still doing pretty poorly, West Virginia is only 3-5, and five, and two of their last four are against ranked opponents, and the two who aren't are Iowa State and Oklahoma. Oklahoma. So that's a really tough docket for the Mountaineers. Wouldn't be too shocking to see them finish with three or four wins this year. Who's not back of the week presented by Texas. We have their buddies in state at Texas A&M after losing to Ole Miss this week after their devastating loss at South Carolina. The good news for Aggies fans is you won't finish eight and four again. <laughs> they are three and five right now, and they have upcoming Florida at Auburn, UMass, and LSU. So you can probably count on a couple wins out of that stretch. Getting to a bowl game will be a challenge. Um, so yeah, good job, Jimbo. Year five, really burning it down with your ninety-five million dollars there in College Station. Now we will swiftly move on to our Week Ten preview. Uh, with Alex Allen and Garrett Bulldog talking about the SEC East Championship, number one, Tennessee, at number three, Georgia. All right, game of the year so far. We've got number one, Tennessee, going to number three, Georgia, in Athens, 2.30 CBS kickoff. The Dogs are an eight-point favorite. Over-under is set way up at 66 um, I'm just going to read off a couple of series stats about the history of this guy. Then I'm going to kick it off to Garrett Bulldog, the podcast resident Georgia uh, expert, and Alex Allen, the podcast resident Tennessee volunteer expert. And we're going to hear their thoughts on their teams and the matchup. Thank you, boys, for joining. So we've got Georgia leading the all-time series really even, but the Bulldogs lead 26 to 23 and with two ties in that one. Um, really haven't played as many times as I might have imagined these schools would have being in the same division they are now. Uh, but you never know sometimes with World War II and everything, teams just didn't play for 50 years. But Georgia's won five of those in a row recently and 10 of the last 12 um, but Tennessee did have back-to-back -back wins to break up that 12-year stretch in 2015 and 16. A couple great games there. Really interesting stat that I found while doing some like series history research on this matchup. This is the first top five game in Athens since when, Garrett? Did you see this? I didn't. Since 1983. 
first top five matchup in Sanford Stadium when number three Auburn beat number four Georgia 13 to seven when Auburn had a couple guys named Bo Jackson and Pat Dye and Georgia was coached by now the late great Vince Dooley rest in peace to coach Dooley. Uh, that news came out this week, but anyway, been a long time since Athens. It's really hard to believe considering they play, you know, Florida and Tennessee at home every single year. Um, and have had some decent non-conference opponents come there recently, but anyway, on to this week's matchup. Um, I guess Alex, let's start with you. You're kind of the new, new kid on the block on <laughs> with games on this, um, I'll, and, I'll, and, and then after this, I'll pivot to Garrett. But what, you know, what areas of your team, Alex, do you feel the best about? I mean, that's kind of an easy answer with Tennessee after what they've done the last couple of weeks. But and and then what do you feel, you know, the worst about and just, you know, kind of go on less about maybe the matchup with Georgia, but just with Tennessee itself. What do you like? What don't you like? Well, first and foremost, Jackson, thanks for having me on again. This is always a great time. And I mean, man, this is what college football is all about. I mean, you just you just can't beat this. You know, this is not even a playoff game, but it feels like one, you know. Uh, really excited to go in November with a game like this. Uh, as you said, it's not too hard for me to go on about what area of my team I feel the best about. I mean, you know, Tennessee's offense is operating at a crazy speed. In fact, you know, the 2019 LSU offense was not quite as fast, you know, as far as like plays per minute. However, it's kind of scary, the details. If you look at Hendon Hooker's stats compared to Joe Burrow's, they're they're pretty similar for the 2019 year versus the 2022 Tennessee offensive year. Um, so I would say definitely the offense. I mean, Hendon Hooker has thrown one interception this year so far compared to 21 touchdowns and also has rushed for another four. So he is playing lights out. He's also thrown for 2,338 yards um, at a 71.2% completion rate. So having him and then having Jalen Hyatt, who has scored 14 touchdowns, five of those came uh, at the Alabama game, is just unreal. I mean, these are like video game numbers when you're playing with your buddies, you know. <laughs> um, so definitely feel best about the offense. Also... Uh, the offense gets talked a lot, and while Tennessee has been torching teams in the passing game especially, I would say still, even though the secondary continues to improve every week, the fact of the matter is the stats don't lie. Tennessee's passing defense is currently ranked at 127th in the country, giving up 300 yards a game. So that is one area that does concern me. However, uh, the starting safety, McCullough, is back. He did not play against Alabama in that game. He was suspended for a couple games. And they just moved a safety to corner. Uh, his last name is Slaughter, I believe. It's not D'Amico, but uh, his last name is Slaughter. And he had one interception and was responsible for a second one. So, you know, it's, it's going to be tough, especially with the way Tennessee plays. They're very fast. The defense doesn't get a lot of breaks. That's part of what has contributed to the – pretty poor uh, defensive play in the secondary, but yeah, I guess long, long answer, short answer. Lo love the offense, especially the passing game. Got a lot of concerns with the secondary. However, they are, they are getting better week to week. 
And Garrett, how about the dogs? Feel good about? What do you feel bad about? So I think um, number one, you kind of led off with um, this being the biggest game that Athens has had personally, historically ever, um, having a one versus three matchup. And I think I think that's partially because we've always played Florida um, at a neutral site. So we've oh, not duh. traditionally. I, I should have thought of that. Yeah, we've not traditionally hosted them. And coming like so. A year or two ago, we renamed it Dooley Field. So I expect this weekend, there's going to be a lot of hype um, in terms of a dedication to him, kind of just the overall atmosphere in Athens. I'm excited to be in town. Unfortunately, probably won't have a ticket to the game, but um, I'm really excited for the atmosphere. I think that's one thing that um, I think UGA doesn't um, get the most credit for in terms of like environments. And I feel like that's because we've, maybe not statistically had huge games there, but I know that uh, this is going to be the biggest one. And I think um, Kirby smarts really challenged the fans to show up. So I expect them to do so Um, statistically getting into the Bulldogs. I think what's interesting is actually um, this year, though we've not had a performance that has um, compared to the week one statistics that we played to when we played Oregon, where we dominated them um but we have the number two offense actually in the sec um and so we are right there behind tennessee and we are flipped between them in terms of both kind of passing and rushing um so i feel relatively confident in the bulldogs offense but i feel like there's been a lingering perception that they've not lived up to the week one performance we had against Oregon, where we had seven straight touchdowns. Um, and so really, I think um, there's, I feel like that's hard to match again, but the offense is something that has, has kind of had some off weeks early in the season and hasn't really been completely tested um, in terms of, a team that is going to potentially push them to need a 40 point um, game to win. So I think that's an area where this week is really going to define kind of um, who is Georgia, um, because we're going to see, we're going to see how the offense competes against an improving defense. And then I think defensively um, though, Georgia statistically is still really high up there. One of the unique things is, they are dead last in sacks. And so I want to see if the defense actually can kind of step up, get some pressure on the quarterback. Um, Cause I think that's going to be a really big emphasis this weekend. And then um, just with it being a newer, newer defense, they don't have the leaders that they've had historically. And Nolan Smith, one of the seniors and one of the leaders of last year's team, he actually is injured and out for the season. So I feel like that's kind of a big injury takeaway. So how, how can the defense play this week without one of their vocal leaders? And um, yeah, just excited to see both. I think the talent that's been comprised by Kirby Smart, is, it's kind of showing that each year, you know, he can bring a team that competes and potentially get to a playoff. But uh, this is going to be really a good test to see who's number one in the East. And I think uh, it'll be a good, yeah, good kind of division playoff, if you will. Yeah, I think I forgot to mention at the top that I mean, this is the SEC East championship. Whoever wins this is unless there is, you know, an insane turn of events going to Atlanta, because whoever loses this game with both teams being undefeated, 
uh, would have to, you know, the, the winner of this game would have to drop two games in the SEC in order not to make it to Atlanta. And, you know, fat chance of that with three games remaining after this week. Um, we'll bump it back to Alex. <clears throat> Maybe Garrett just gave us the answer right there. I mean, I know even uh you know, kind of younger, maybe a little bit injured Georgia defense is still nothing to scoff at. I mean, we saw what Kirby was able to put on the field year after year for so long in Tuscaloosa. And even when you feel like you lost, you know, a legendary unit, there are just a bunch of other absolute dogs ready to step up. Um, but Alex, what matchups do you think that like positionally that Tennessee can exploit? Is it that younger and now kind of injured uh, Georgia secondary without their leader and Dean, or is, are you looking elsewhere for maybe a, an, ed, an edge for the Vols? Well, you know, it's tough to say. Um, these two teams are, in my opinion, and I would say statistically as well, fairly evenly matched um, with the exception of Georgia secondary being better than Tennessee's. Because if you look at the run defense, um, Tennessee's currently ranked at 25th or no, that's rushing. Yeah. The run defense, they're 25th in the country. Georgia is ranked at 23rd. So rushing defensively, defensively, they're pretty similar. Um, I think even though these two teams are going to have to throw the ball, cause I know you'll probably ask us later what type of game we're seeing and I'll, I'll lead, I'll get on that more later. Um, while both of these teams will have to throw, I believe, I also think that in order, one of the keys of this game is to rush the football and run the football. Um, I will say that I don't, I don't remember his name. Sorry, Garrett. Sorry, Georgia fans. But that high profile player that y'all lost on defense is definitely going to hurt. Um, I will also say this, though, going back to the throwing aspect of the game. So a lot of people didn't realize that when Tennessee played Alabama and I keep using Alabama as an example, because I mean, that was no way to put it a crazy game. And even though Hyatt scored five touchdowns that game, Hyatt is, he, he probably, he could be our best receiver now, but leading to that game, he was not considered Tennessee's number one receiver. And Tennessee has their preseason number one receiver coming in to Georgia now healthy Cedric Tillman. So, if it was already hard enough to cover Hyatt, USC transfer Brew McCoy and great wide receiver three uh, Keaton, it's going to be really tough now to guard four potential NFL receivers. Um, as far as other matchups I could see potentially being exploited, it's, it's just really hard to say. Um, Georgia beat the brakes off of Oregon at the beginning of the year, and I haven't study Georgia too too heavily just because I've got two teams to worry about being Tennessee and Auburn, which one is definitely more fun to watch the season than the other. <laughs> but yeah, we're not opening that that, that can of worms. <laughs> yeah. But however, um what I have seen, you know, Georgia, Georgia seems like one of those teams where I would say their tight ends I'm worried about because Garrett, what do y'all have? Like three tight ends? I mean I know you got a monster that six foot seven dude that Darnell runs Washington. like a beast. Yeah. And then you have Brock Bowers. I mean, I am concerned about that because Tennessee's linebackers are a pretty stout group and Tennessee's pass rush is pretty, pretty good. I believe uh, Byron Young, I think has five sacks on the season so far, and he's constantly raising hell in the backfield. So 
you know, I, I feel good about pass rush and run defense, but, you know, if you get one of those athletic freaks at tight end against a corner, you know, that, that concerns me. So I would say for me, I think Tennessee has a good chance of exploiting the secondary just because it's hard to cover three or four potential top three round or, you know, first three round draft pick type of receivers. And I, 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 but I am concerned about the, I am concerned about Georgia exploiting Tennessee secondary. So I guess kind of goes both ways. So Garrett, maybe, maybe it's more so Tennessee's wide receivers are the concerns for the dogs, whereas it's the tight ends that are the concerns for the Vols. Do you have anything else to add to that or any other matchups that you have your eyes on? Yeah, I think um, what Alex started with um, running the ball, I think that actually is with every game, of course, establishing the line of scrimmage is always a big factor. Um, I think you look at Tennessee's explosive playability. And even if to me, one of the big areas is, Number one, stopping them from running the ball. So not allowing them to get into second and short and third and short. But I think Tennessee does a really good job of making explosive plays. So it's like multiple multiple series, you know, there. And I think against Alabama, it was touchdowns over 20 yards, you know, all of them to Hyatt. And so how can, how can Georgia limit um, Tennessee from making explosive plays through the air? and keep them in like second and long, third and long by not allowing them to run the ball either. And so I think, um, of course, those those wide receivers to Alex Alex's point, I think they are in some ways comparable to 2019 LSU at the rate at which Tennessee is improving. And so I have concerns um, about our secondary. They are younger. However, I do think we have one of the most athletic secondaries that Tennessee is going to play. And so I expect us to play more man coverage than Tennessee has traditionally faced. And so I think I agree. if we can keep them in kind of third and long and make them have to sustain longer drives rather than having deep explosive plays. I mean, from what I heard, Alabama played a lot more zone against Tennessee. And I think we need to play more man coverage because we have, we have big corners. Like we have Keely Ringo. He's, he's like a 6'2", 220 pound corner. And so if he can jam some of the wide receivers at the line, and we can possibly get a little bit of pressure on Hendon Hooker and force him to throw the ball away, then um, that potentially helps us keep them from being as explosive. Um, However, yeah, stopping the run is going to be important in doing that because Tennessee runs the ball very well too. And so I think which team can show a balanced attack, like I think both teams are very capable of going over 500 yards of offense on each side. But I think to do that, each team is going to need to cover, you know, 200 plus yards rushing and over 200 plus yards passing. And so whichever team has the most balance, I think is going to be successful. And then to Alex's point, we've, um, we've struggled to have, I think, as much wide receiver top end as we have had tight ends. And so the tight end room has actually been leading the team and receiving Brock Bowers is leading the team receiving. And so I think he's, he's a big threat, but in order to get him going, I think running the ball will be important. Cause I think Stetson Bennett, um, though he's had statistically a lot better year than he has previously um, passing. I still think he does best when he's able to use play action to set up um, 
pass plays rather than operating out of the shotgun. So I think being able to run the ball, being able to be balanced is going to be um, give us a better chance to potentially win. And I, I like, a, that's what I do like about, I I'd say our offense in this um, matchup is that I think we should be able to be balanced. And I think particularly we had um, against in the Oregon game, we were able to, our leading receiver was Kenny McIntosh, our leading running back. And since then, he's not really been seen as a receiver a lot. And he's not statistically, I think has had as strong of a performance. And so I'm hoping that we can, you know, maybe use the tight ends to focus some of Tennessee's more talented players and possibly get some pass plays to Kenny McIntosh, the running back to, to open things up a bit more because last year's game, James cook, um, he was our running back and he burned Tennessee pretty bad quite a few times. And so maybe that's uh, a player that could show up. Um, and obviously I feel like Darnell Washington and, um, Brock Bowers are going to get a lot of attention, but I'm hoping that uh, some other players can step up as well because we're going to need all the offense we can get against Tennessee. Yeah, and to kind of speak on what y'all are alluding to earlier um, with the running game and everything, it's, you know, this game might as as much as the Tennessee passing attack and the Georgia tight ends have drawn a lot of the attention, deservingly so, obviously, this season. Um it might come down to who can just run the ball more successfully and have a more balanced attack, you know, and move the chains a little bit more consistently because I mean, especially against Georgia's defense, if, if they're able to stuff Tennessee's run game without completely loading up the box, then, you know, it's really hard to have a consistently successful attack against a Kirby smart Georgia defense. If you are one dimensional. So I thought that was an interesting point um, that, you know, might not be the flashiest thing to look at. Um, okay. We've got 10 minutes left on the recording, so I'll get to the last couple questions. Uh, but you know, it, it could come down to running the ball and, you know, think the more fundamental, less flashy things like that. Um, so with that being said, um, let's kind of go towards, uh, the predictions and everything, but first Alex, whether it be high scoring, low scoring, clean, sloppy, fast, slow, what type of game, do you envision as the ideal game, uh, you know, kind of stylistically for Tennessee to win? Oh, ideally. I mean, just look at the Kentucky game. So Tennessee came out fast and I think Georgia and any team, in my opinion, that's smart is going to want to keep Tennessee's offense off the field. So they're going to want to grind it out, run the ball, just like we've been talking about from the beginning of this podcast. So I know what Georgia probably wants to do. However, I envision if Tennessee can get going, I mean, you know, Tennessee goes up or even, even if Tennessee is not leading by two scores, if Tennessee is just consistently putting up touchdowns in, you know, 45 seconds to three minutes, every drive and Georgia's having to, having to catch up, they're not going to be able to just ground the ground it out. Cause you know, if, if they, if they come up empty handed one or two times, they're going to have to resort to passing. So um, so far, no team has proved that they can stop Tennessee's passing attack, as, even even when Tennessee has given up, you know, 35 points to Florida or uh, what was it, 40, 49 points to Alabama. Um, yeah, Tennessee's proven that they can be scored on, but no team has, sh- has showed up and said, hey, we're not going to let y'all throw and score on us. 
So I, I envision this to be a fast, fast paced, high scoring game. Honestly, um, it might start off slow just because I'm sure that everybody is going to be giving everything they have in Sanford stadium, both players on the field and fans in the stands, it's going to be an electric environment. But uh, also these, these guys are tired of hearing how every single week, how, Oh, well, this team is going to shut y'all down or this team's going to run the ball down your throat. I mean, you know, they were acting like, and maybe they still are acting like Will Levis from Kentucky was, you know, a top three draft pick in some draft boards and Tennessee held him to 98 yards and three interceptions and held the whole team to 107 yards rushing. So yeah, I, I see it as being a high scoring game and granted also Georgia is a much better team than Kentucky, by the way, but um, it just seems like every week there's a reason why Tennessee's not going to be able to do what they're going to do. And it'll be interesting to see if Georgia can actually slow them down. Yeah. And real quick, you look at the Alabama game after the first quarter, I believe the score was 28 to 10. And that's, I mean, exactly what Tennessee wanted. Cause then mm -hmm. that forces Alabama into the track meet style game, which we have gotten used to and been successful at over the years and everything. But in that environment against that offense, it's not really how we wanted to play it out. Um, but we had no choice when we got down three scores in the first quarter. Um, so, yeah, I think you're right. Just a very fast, lots of possessions. The more times that Tennessee can get their hands on the ball first and 10, you know, the better for the Vols. Garrett, uh, I feel like everyone knows what you're going to say here. But what, what do you think as far as, you know, the type of game that you would uh, think that would play out most ideally for the dogs? Yeah, I think um, to to Alex's point, limiting limiting Tennessee's time of possession is is obviously uh, beneficial. Number one, um, and I think overall, yes, it's a it's a balanced attack. It's controlling controlling the time of possession. Um, but I think one thing that Georgia did last week is in the first half against Florida, Stetson Bennett had twenty nine passes. And that was just in the first half alone. And That's so <laughs> he, he yeah. had like, he had over 250 yards passing in the first half. So I don't expect Georgia to come out slow offensively. I actually expect them to emphasize their first half and specifically their first quarter scoring. And so I think um, it's going to be really hard to slow down Tennessee, but I think if from a special team standpoint, we can keep them within, like if we can force them to have to drive the field and start within their own 20, within their own 15 and potentially have a, um, any delay of games or any penalties that kind of go Georgia's way just to make it harder for Tennessee. Obviously the environment um, needs to have its impact, but also I think one of the biggest factors is Georgia over the past few weeks has been in the negative in the turnover margin, whereas Tennessee has been one of the best teams as far as turnovers and interceptions is concerned. And so I think really for Georgia to win this game, I feel like that script has to be flipped. So I think we have to force Hendon Hooker into an interception or a strip sack where we are able to create a turnover and really just enable ourselves to get out to a 14 point lead or possibly um, yeah, flip the script on really what Tennessee has done in the first quarter of all of their games. Cause, cause that's one thing I think is to me, the explosiveness of Tennessee, I feel like that's the reason they're number one. And so can, can no team has been able to really slow them down this year. And so I feel like our disciplined defense, I think that's one of the strengths of Kirby smart is that 
you, when we played Alabama in the national championship, we forced them to drive the entire field, settle for, for field goals or potentially fourth downs in the red zone. And so if we can force Tennessee to have to drive the field, I actually see our red zone defense potentially being able to keep them to field goals or keep them from having as explosive plays because there's less of a threat off the top and there's more of a, okay, they need to get, you know, 10 yards or possibly get in the end zone. So we'll see how the game plays out, but I think Georgia needs to really set the tone in the first quarter in the first half. Garrett. All right. Go ahead, Alex. Well, Jackson, if you don't mind real quick, Garrett, do you have any concerns? Understand that the top of the defense is taken off. But if you're in the red zone, do you have any concerns with Hendon Hooker's running ability? Because he has proven to be a pretty elusive runner, especially out of the pocket. I do. I think um, that that's definitely a concern. Um, and I think we what I do like is and of course, it's unfortunate that Nolan Smith, he was our one of our edge rushers and one of our outside linebackers with a lot of experience. Not having him is going to be challenging. But I do like our ability to get after him with one of our returning players that we haven't had since the first game is Jalen Carter. And he's definitely a potential first round draft pick on the defensive line. And then look out for Jamon Dumas Johnson. He is a sophomore linebacker, but he's been replacing Nolan or he's been replacing Nicobe Dean this year. And he's already up there for a, he's a Butkus semi-finalist award and he flies around. So I think our linebackers actually have somehow this year not fallen off as bad as they have. And so if they're able to keep Hendon Hooker in the pocket and not allow him to escape as elusively as he might, then I think we can potentially uh, keep him under control. But that's a, that's a good point, Alex. I think if, if Hendon Hooker escapes the pocket and is able to convert a few large runs, I feel like those plays can be game breakers for a defense. Yeah, and that for some reason I just thought of this during what you were just saying, Gary. But both of these quarterbacks are like basically our age. Like, like I know that Hooker is older than like it was something like absurd, like a dozen NFL quarterbacks, including Tua and Burrow and like all these guys. Like these people oh, yeah. have been around in college for a long time, and especially Hooker. I'll be glad when he moves on to the league. Um, but all right, we've got about a minute and a half left before Zoom kicks us out because I'm cheap and have not upgraded to pro. Um, so really quickly, and we'll wrap it up. Alex, what's your score prediction for the game? Like I said, man, I see this being a shootout and uh I think Tennessee is ready to shock the world. I'm going to say 45 to 42 Tennessee on top. All right. Balls on top for Alex Garrett. How about you? Yeah, I think uh, Alex is Alex is right about it being a high scoring game. Personally, I see the winning team being the team that breaches 40 points. I think um, both defenses actually are playing really well right now. And so whichever defense can keep the other team under 40, I think that's going to be the difference maker. It's probably going to come down to a last drive in the fourth quarter. I think it's going to be a close game throughout. But if one of the ten teams can distance themselves, that's beneficial. My score prediction would be, uh, I'm going to say um, 45-38 dogs on top. Uh, we're going to – Vince Dooley and Dooley Field is going to have uh, one last one last smile in Athens and uh, – with uh, yeah, all the recruits in town, it's gonna be it's gonna be a big one for the dogs. All right, that'll do it. 
any second now we're going to get kicked off so thank you so much guys for coming on i really appreciate the insight and everything it's going to be an awesome game to watch the Sorry we got cut off at the end there as I was giving my final thoughts and thank you to my guys, but I'll do it again now. Thank you to my guys for coming on the podcast and uh, giving us some insight into this, uh, what should be an awesome game. Maybe if a hummus brand actually sponsored this podcast, I could afford Zoom Premium, but we will roll on to number... Had to check the new college football playoff rankings that just came out tonight. Uh, we'll talk about those more next week after a lot gets settled out this week with Tennessee and Georgia and Bama and LSU. But number six, Alabama goes to number 10, LSU. Six o'clock central on ESPN. Uh, you know, LSU has been surprisingly competent this year after how they started off uh, except for the Tennessee game where they got routed at home but they've kind of quietly just been chugging along they beat Ole Miss in a really big really big spot for LSU there at home a couple weeks ago Um, but I don't know Bama has been so bad on the road the past couple years it's hard to have too much confidence in us I think that we are the better team I think that we will be able to move the ball against them even though LSU's defense is always pretty good and their pass rush rush defense is pretty solid this year um you know going to Death Valley at night is never easy however with all the hype that that does get it's um not many people talk about this because everyone just talks about 2019 Bama LSU, but the the last good close game in Death Valley between Bama and LSU was 2016 when we entered the fourth quarter uh, 0-0. That's when Jalen was the quarterback at Bama, and Bama ended up winning that one 10 to zero because after that Tua and crew shut LSU out 29 to zero in 2018. And then in 2020, Bama completely throttled them with Mac Jones, Devonte Smith and company. So it's been a while before L- since LSU has actually given Bama a good test in death Valley. I do think they will this week. Um, that's it's, it's going to be a stressful game. I see it still being a good game in the fourth quarter, but I think overall Bama after, kind of finding their stride again after the Tennessee game against Mississippi State, playing their cleanest game all year. I know State isn't great, but still just nice to have an easy one for the Tide fans listening. Um, but then the the bye week, able to rest up a little bit, get your mind right, and hopefully Bama can come in and just have a clean ball game in this hostile atmosphere, Death Valley at night, although I won't bet on it being a clean game. Um, I think I think Bama will be able to squeak it out with the superior superior talent. Uh, the only other really big game this week uh, comes in South Bend. Number four, Clemson uh, goes to unranked Notre Dame, who has been playing better recently. And, you know, like I just said, they, they got off to a horrible start. But they just handled Syracuse a lot easier than Clemson handled them uh, in the Carrier Dome while Clemson had them at home. Uh, I know college football isn't that simple, but Clemson, you know, I mean, they took care of business against NC State. They barely squeaked out the win against Wake Forest, who, despite last week, I still think is a pretty good team, Um, but 
it, it it's probably going to be a physical game as Notre Dame likes it to be. Clemson's a three and a half field goal favorite here. This one's at six thirty Central Time. I think Notre Dame's going to give them all they can handle. I don't. Th- Gun to my head, I still have to pick Clemson. Uh, <laughs> I, I can't get there yet on Notre Dame. I'm not really known to do that ever, but I think the Tigers will squeak it out. But it's going to be another tough one. And after this, Clemson has it pretty smooth sailing all the way to the playoff. And it feels like if they do get there, whoever they match up against, whatever SEC t- team it may be, whether it be uh, – Ohio State or Michigan or even like a TCU or a one-loss Pac-12 team. I don't know that Clemson will be favored in that. So they're kind of holding on for dear life here, uh, trying to beat this unranked Notre Dame team on the road. We will move on to the final segments and wrap this guy up. What I'm watching the best three games and all three time slots of the day. Not a great morning slate, uh, but Texas Tech plays at number seven TCU. And just with TCU's undefeated status right now, it becomes a watchable game. TCU's a nine-point favorite at home. This one's at 11 a.m. Central. TCU... um, Ranked at number seven, they are the lowest-ranked undefeated team in the college football playoff poll. The only team with a loss ahead of them is Alabama at number six. TCU has Tech this week, then they're at Texas, at Baylor, and then get Iowa State at home to round off the regular season. I think one of those games on the road, they'll get got. Personally, um, they've had a great run. Uh, Their offense is incredible, don't have a very good defense. So I think the Horns or the Bears offense will be able to get them, but I think they'll be okay this week at home. We'll see at 11 a.m. against Texas Tech Red Raiders. And then obviously Tennessee, Georgia, 2.30, Bama LSU at 6 with a chaser of uh, Clemson, Notre Dame at 6.30 and a double chaser of a double dose Pac-12 after dark game of the week on Friday night. Like I said, we have 23 straight days of nonstop college and NFL football. Friday, we have a really good game. A lot of Friday games, matchups are not that interesting. But number 24, Oregon State Beavers, who have been completely rolling. Pardon me. Number 23, Oregon State Beavers, have been completely rolling uh, this season. They play at the Washington Huskies in Seattle. Um, at 9.30 Central on Friday night. And then UCLA plays at Arizona State at 8.30 on Saturday night. UCLA is a 10.5-point favorite there. Um, So we'll see if they can get it done on the road under the lights there in Tempe. Um, The best bet of the week last week, Hats off to Brian Harson. He gave us one last one last winner in his tenure on the Plains. Uh, we are six to three year to date on our best bets after Arkansas gets a 14 point win in Auburn after only being a three, three and a half point favorite. So that was an easy one for everybody. I know all of you guys profited on that one after following the best bet, and we will tweet out the one uh, for this week here in a day or two. Lastly, as we wrap up the Pick'em Recap, my little brother Will is in charge with 49 wins on the season. Nate 
My buddy is 48 wins, one game back. I'm three games back. And like we've said all season, and Dylan is right there on our tail at 44 uh, wins on the season and only five games back out of the lead. So with that, we'll wrap it up here. Uh, Thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you to Alex and Garrett. And I hope everybody enjoys these massive SEC matchups this weekend. P.S. Shout out to Stephen Owens and Sydney Fields, future Mrs. Owens on getting married this upcoming weekend. I am so thrilled to be at the wedding and so thrilled to celebrate Alabama beating LSU with one of my best friends from childhood, Stephen Owens. Roll Tide, Steve.